In December 2007, my mother died of cancer. Two weeks later, I was diagnosed with the same disease. I've always been an obsessive reader of memoirs, particularly those that revolve around terrible diseases. While gawking at car accidents gives you a toe curling sense of shame, perusing a memoir about multiple sclerosis, for example, has an air of virtue, as if by reading about other people's tragedies, you are gathering intelligence about your own possible future. Having read at least ten cancer memoirs before my diagnosis, I was quite sure about what would happen next. I immediately started anticipating the epiphany when I would be struck by the acute beauty of life. I would see joy in my children's eyes, rather than stark rebellion, eschew caffeine, and simply be, preferably while doing yoga in front of the sunset. My better, less irritable self would come out of hiding, and I would stop wasting time at the computer and sniping at my husband. I have cancer, but the good news is I will learn to live in the moment. Or perhaps not. When the life is precious response didn't immediately appear, I delayed making joy my modus vivendi while I looked for a doctor. My mother had demanded that her surgeon give her at least enough time to finish her novel in progress, and her surgeon had delivered. Mom had the copy edits right there in the hospice with her. I couldn't concentrate on joy when I was obsessively trying to figure out which breast specialist would give me the time I wanted, about forty more years, maybe fifty. My sister Bridget, who is science-minded and capable of retaining unpleasant medical facts, accompanied me on a quest for the right oncologist. We first saw a fierce woman on Madison Avenue who had decorated her office with Wonder Woman dolls. I took this as a sign of somewhat juvenile but welcome joie de vivre, but Bridget deemed it too self-congratulatory. Doctor Wonder Woman was ready to battle tremendous odds. Her eyes shone with a true believer fervor as she prescribed removing various parts of my body and radiating much of what was left. She wrestled me onto a cot and drew blood for a gene test right there in her office. Don't worry about your insurance, she said blithely. After they hear your family history, they'll pay up. Once I learned that I didn't have the BRAC gene, the one that brands you with a big red C for cancer, I couldn't get myself to go back to her office. For brack carriers, Doctor Wonder Woman offered a scorched earth policy and the zeal to fight the good fight. I had started sleeping better once I decided that my early stage case was like herpes, another disease I'd read about and hoped to avoid, disagreeable but hardly terminal. Eventually, Bridget and I found a calm, quiet oncologist who recommended radiation and hormone treatment, but also noted the salient fact. That my breast was the culprit. I stopped thinking about herpes. This was a part of my body that I could live without. In rapid order, I lost that breast. But having escaped chemotherapy and radiation, did I have the right to call myself a survivor, especially when my newly constructed breast turned out to be so pneumatic and round? I decided the answer was no, explaining my lack of epiphany and my disinclination to watch the sunrise from a downward dog position. No pink ribbon for me. Obviously, my diagnosis just wasn't serious enough to change my personality. Lucky me, I had a better profile, but the same old psyche. And then, without consciously deciding to, I began to shed my possessions. I started with my books. Since I was seven, I had compulsively collected novels, cataloging them, and keeping my favorites close to the door in case of fire. 
My boxed set of the Chronicles of Narnia bore a large sign instructing my parents not to forget it as they carried my presumably unconscious body through the door just before the ceiling fell in. Now, though, I started giving away books with abandon. My husband, Alessandro, had weathered my bout with cancer with considerably more aplomb than he did its aftermath. As I purged my own belongings, I proselytized the same, but to no effect. Alessandro was flatly uninterested, as anyone might have guessed from the neatly labeled boxes in our attic containing every exam he'd given since 1988. I sometimes worried that the floor might buckle from the tons of Italian literature stored under the eaves. The day he discovered three of his books that I had mistakenly placed in a box labeled Goodwill shall not long be forgotten in our marriage. It was like a honeymoon night when he set alight an ornamental fire in our room at the bed and breakfast and smoked out all the sleepy guests. That blaze is stuck in my memory, and those three books are stuck in his. But I didn't stop with books. I did the same with my clothes, jettisoning unopened packages of black stockings from the 80s, the silk nightgown I'd worn on my smoky wedding night, miniskirts in size 6. I gave away our wedding presents. My high school term papers hit the recycling bin, followed by college essays and even the children's artwork, which I had once found endlessly endearing.' 